Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're going to be discussing Monday's interview with Dr. Peter Kerr. And joining me once again back in the studio to discuss the episode are my friends and fellow leaders, Elijah Friedemann and Thomas Tubby. What did y'all think about Monday's interview with Dr. Peter Kerr? There's a whole lot of good things he had to say. Again, and so so many things, it was almost hard for me to, to kind of bring it together and sum up. One, one thing that really stuck out to me when he talked about is is almost this family metaphor. In fact, at one point he even said it, leadership is like fatherhood. You can probably say it's like motherhood too, of, of how important it is as a leader to have concern and care for the people around you. Yeah. And that really came through in what he said. And that's a good thing to hear, a good thing to be reminded of, that that even if not every context, leadership context, is like family, it's important to put that first, to care for people and help them out. Absolutely. And a big part of that, too, that I, I thought of as well is, is important to make connections with the people that you're working with as a leader is kind of what I took away. And that, in turn, is going to be effective in the way that you go about criticizing or praising the people you're with. If you have connections with them, you're going to know how to do that better. Yeah. So one of the things that came up in last week's interview as well as this week's interview was the idea of delegation. That's one of those things that I know can be really difficult as a leader, especially if you're trying to delegate from something that you've developed yourself. Do either of you think that you are good delegators in your areas of responsibility? I've definitely had to become a good delegator. I tend to be a control freak. I tend to be someone who likes to have my hands on it. Uh, often someone who even thinks that if my hands are on it, it's going to turn out better. And that's a that's a really good thing in some ways until you become a leader. And then it's a, it's a dangerous thing to think you have to be involved. And so across the last couple of years, I've really gotten a lot better at empowering people and giving up control and letting other people take it, which which always works out better in the long run, even if in the short run, it's tough. I'm currently doing physical therapy school and like the I don't really have a leadership role in the class but experiences that we have with is like you know we obviously have group work from time to time and it there is like a natural I guess hierarchy that's created when you get in those groups and like somebody definitely takes the lead and then other people are kind of the subordinates so I've had opportunities to be both the leader and one of the subordinates in that's in that situation with group work and I find it very easy to be told what to do. I'm very good at that. I'm not always good at being the one who is the, who takes the lead and is like, okay, you do this, that, and that. Cause my mind just doesn't work that way. I guess I'm a bit, I'm better at being told this is what you need to do. And I try to do that really well. So I struggle a little bit with the delegation part. Yeah. Some of whether or not we like delegation and whether or not we're good at it depends on our past experiences with it. So Elijah and Tubby, you've both kind of just spoken to this a little bit, but in general, as you look back on past experiences with delegation, have you had good experiences with it or have you had experiences that have made you question whether or not it's the best idea? 
My first experience with delegation on a relatively large scale was in college. Sophomore year of college, I was leading a big project. It was for a class, but it was the, the whole class was a project, it was a public relations class. And we had to put on, uh, it was right around the first Hobbit movie was coming out. We put on an event called Hobbit Night. Big production, ended up having 600 plus people there. It was supposed to be combined with the literacy campaign at a local school. So all of I was in charge of all this, got put in charge of all of it, and had to delegate to a lot to a lot of people. And I had a couple really good leaders. I delegated to and the rest of them did not work out well at all. Hmm. So the literacy campaign didn't actually happen. It was, it was supposed to happen. It was part of a part of the big project. And then that part didn't happen. And so I learned a lot of really valuable lessons and it burned me in some ways on, on delegating. But then I also learned, Hey, you got to change some things. And so next time I was able to delegate, it went a lot, a lot better. And one of the big lessons was just instead of starting off nice, you start off mean and get nice along the way. You start off with really <laughs> high expectations. And then you, along the way, when people need grace, you extend it to them yep. uh, rather than extending grace early on. So future future challenges, uh, future opportunities and challenges when I've, I've had to delegate have turned out a lot better. And now, Tubby, last week you were talking about some of your experiences as a resident assistant in college. Did you ever have any of those dynamics either on your your team or with your hall where you had to delegate activities out? Yes, it's funny because I actually did think of my senior year at Mississippi College, I actually had the opportunity. I got a cool leadership role as what they called a lead resident assistant. So I wasn't just an RA. I went up to the next level of lead. I was the in-between between the resident director and the resident assistant. So I had a lot more experience with delegation in that format um, because I was actually over two of the RAs in my area. Yeah out of the out of the five that we had so there was a lot more experience with delegation there and it was interesting for it was an interesting experience for me because i was i was still at i guess you could say at their level like we were both you know we were all college students still and i was i just had a position that was a little bit higher up than theirs i guess you could say so it was it was an interesting dynamic for me because i felt like we were all still on the same playing field. And this was a, and I forgot to mention, this was like the first year they did this position of lead RA. So That's I was, fun. I was kind of defining the, yeah, yeah to kind of define the role as I went. Uh, so it was, it was cool. It was, uh, I had obviously some struggles just because it was the first year. There wasn't really a template. I was kind of making the template as I went. Um, I just had a different role than they did. I did a little bit more behind the scenes work and I left the, I had to be okay with letting go of some of the community building that you do as an RA and allow my RAs to do that community building. And I focused on a little bit more of logistics, like scheduling and that sort of thing. I had to look at, I guess, like a bigger picture and allowed the community. I still built community in ways, but I had to leave some of the day-to-day activities of community building to my RAs, So, which was hard for me to give up at times. So one of the things that we talked about in the first interview with Dr. Kerr was how Sometimes good leaders are the people in the background, right? And then you delegate other upfront activities to other people. Tubby, you just talked about it a little bit. You had to kind of give some other community building responsibilities maybe to other people. Did you ever have any experience when you were delegating roles where you kind of went to the background and had other people up front? Yeah, so one thing, actually a very specific example I think of at the beginning of the year in a dorm setting, you have what's called a, a hall meeting. And as an RA, you lead the meeting and all the residents are there and you tell them about kind of just your vision for the floor that year, kind of the the ground rules and what you kind of expect and that sort of thing. And so I did that as an RA, but once I got to lead RA, I shared my building with an RA. So I had to give up that leader of the hall meeting to him. You know, I kind of gave him my ideas of what I would like it to be, 
But at the end of the day, he was the one that was going to lead the meeting and kind of set the tone for the floor. I was just, I was in, the, I had to take that step back. Like I would have, I would have liked to have been the one who led the meeting and said, this is what I see that this floor should be. But it, I guess it technically wasn't my floor. It was his. Yeah. And I was just kind of over, you know, so I had to let go of a little bit of control there. Elijah, how about you? Yeah, there have been some times at the church that I lead as we've grown and brought more people up into leadership, where especially leading other leaders, there have been times I've stepped aside from that. So I, I, I would want FaceTime with them and an opportunity to cast vision with them, but I've given that up to someone else to do. Yeah. I was at a meeting today, actually, where that where that happened, where someone else was leading the meeting of leaders, and I stepped aside. And that's a little hard for me to do because there's things that I want to say and ways I want to cast vision and things I want to emphasize, and I've got to take a step back from that. But ultimately, it's really good because the guy we've got doing it is a phenomenal leader, and he's getting even better through this process. So it's a good thing, but it it is hard to step back sometimes. I'm also curious about this literacy campaign. One of the things that we talked about in this week's interview, I know we've kind of been jumping back and forth between the two, but in this week's interview, we talked about what it looks like for leaders to have to take responsibility and sometimes take the fall for things that don't go as planned when they're delegated out. So were there any repercussions there or was it just a, hey, this is a class, this didn't turn out how it's supposed to it is what it is. The professor was very gracious and turned it into a learning opportunity rather than a, an opportunity to penalize us. So that, that was just very thankful for that. And would you say that it was a learning opportunity for you or more for the people that didn't follow through with their part of the delegation? I don't think they, they were too concerned about not, not having followed through. So it was a learning opportunity for me, definitely, in, in understanding how to, how to lead better in the future. So as we're talking about stepping back, from being being in the front, delegating to other people. There's a lot of humility that that takes. And that's one thing that Dr. Kerr talked about is humility. And he had a definition of humility I thought was really interesting. And it was humility is greatness that doesn't expect recognition or special treatment. I've never heard humility talked about in this way before. What did you guys think about it? Did that resonate with y'all? Or did it seem like that really is getting at the heart of humility? It did resonate with me, and spoiler alert, this is one of my key takeaways. I really like the definition of humility that he gave. I really think that it does get at the heart of what humility is. I think that a lot of people want recognition for what they're doing, and they believe that it's something that they're owed. And oftentimes, they're probably correct. But it's the humble person that's okay with doing something and deserving something and not necessarily being recognized for it and being okay with that. And that's difficult. I think it becomes even more difficult when someone else is recognized for it. And then that's almost a different discussion. But being okay with not being recognized, especially how you feel like you should be recognized, is definitely an important aspect of humility. And I believe Dr. Curry pointed this out, and I just wanted to kind of emphasize the point as well, that humility is not negative thoughts about yourself. Cause that's what a lot of people go to. They go to the complete opposite extreme. Yeah. Like I, okay, I'm not proud, but now I'm like, I'm so humble that I think less of myself. That's not what, actually what it is. And I think he pointed that out and I appreciated that. Cause when you define humility, sometimes you do get to the point where you're like, well, where, where is that mark? Where, you know, where, where are you at the point where you are humble, but you're not so humble that you're, you're actually, you know, kind of Thinking less of yourself, I guess, is what I'm trying to get Yeah, at. and I think that's why his definition was really helpful. It keeps you from thinking about humility as whether or not you're valuable. Because this definition doesn't change the value of you as a human. What it does is changes 
your expectations for what you deserve and what people owe you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really helpful. What did you think, Elijah? Did you, did you like it? Yeah, I thought it was helpful. I really did. The tension I think that's, that's present in this definition is if you do recognize a greatness in yourself of not actually expecting anything from that. I think that's really, really hard, which is obviously where humility has to come in. But a lot of people don't recognize a greatness in themselves, which it may or may not be there. But then to recognize that and then not expect something undercuts everything we've learned in our lives, everything we've been taught, so many of the things we hold dear, which is compensation based on what you've done or who you are. And and to push against that is is really challenging. So I think he's right. I think he gets at something really good, which is not turning humility into a weakness or turning humility into self-denigration. But at the same time, how he presents it makes it very challenging to come to a point of real humility. I think part of it is also not being recognized by certain people. I think think it would be a frustrating life to not be recognized for anything that you've done. But I think really what it is is being okay – being known by some people and them knowing who you are and what you're capable of and and the things that you're able to do, but maybe not being recognized on the scale that you otherwise might think that you deserve to be recognized at. Because, yeah, if, if you go through all of life and no one ever sees you for who you are, that would be tough. Which makes it even more important for anyone who is in leadership to recognize the people who have humility around you and make sure you're, you're recognizing their contribution and calling that out. Because I think sometimes a humble person, they don't cause problems. And so you feel good about it and you say, mm-hmm. Hey, that's great. They're doing what they need to do. And then you overlook them, which, which doesn't help reinforce the humility they're displaying. So I think that's why a lot of leaders feel lonely at the top because they don't feel like there are a lot of other people that are willing to speak into their lives or feel a freedom to speak into their lives, even at the level directly below them. There's not the free flow of communication and honesty that may exist in more level relationships. So how do you think leaders get around that? I think part of it is, as a leader, making sure there is that, what what Dr. Kerr talked about, that two-way flow of communication, even though you are maybe not on the same level as a leader with somebody who's under you, making sure there's that flow of communication there. Yeah. So they are comfortable enough with you to be able that there's praise and criticism going back and forth. I think it's very important um, to do that as leaders should be humble enough and to be able to take criticism from their subordinates sometimes. Cause like the subordinates have good insight that a leader might not see from the, like a day to day perspective. Let's say, you know, like uh, a subordinate might have an opinion about something that they think would work and obviously they have to present it in a very tactful way, but the, if the leader is humble enough, they'll take that advice as valuable, you know, and like take that criticism and not take it personally, but see the, that person's trying to help the organization grow. Um, so I think it's important to have that two-way communication because then where there's criticism, there can also be praise going back and forth. Uh, the, the leader will be able to feel comfortable enough to praise that person. Then the, per, the subordinate will also be comfortable enough to praise the leader as well when they're doing something well. I think in a perfect world, you have you have that free flow, that free exchange mm-hmm. of ideas. And, and like you alluded to, uh, sometimes that doesn't happen as, as much as we would like for it to happen. And it's, it's hard to get at that. And, and so w- sometimes I think as leaders, you have to just straight up ask the question, if you want that free flow of communication, it's not going to be a free flow. It's got to be a, a faucet you turn on by asking the right question. Hey, is there something I'm doing that I should be doing yes. differently? Is there something that, that you wish I were doing? And that's a, that's a tough question. You, my guess is you have to ask it a bunch of times before you start getting a, a good answer, a tr- honest answer. But I, th- I think you have to force that feedback rather than it just happening. 
And I think you have to be very acutely aware too of your potential faults and flaws as a leader to in order, you know, you have to be very self-reflective to know, okay, this is probably, if there's some discord or something that's going wrong in this organization that I might be causing, it might be because of this flaw I know I have in myself. So you, you need to ask questions from a leadership perspective in a way that the, the people under you feel comfortable enough to answer that question. You can't just say, okay, where, where am I really a terrible leader at? You have to be very like, you know, the, you have to frame the question well, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's where they feel, somebody under you feels comfortable enough to answer that question and not feel like they're going to get fired for the way they answer the yeah. question. Yeah. Yeah, and in asking the question, kind of what I'm thinking is, is not are our leaders open to feedback and criticism although i think a lot of times leaders aren't and that needs to change but a lot of times i think that they may deal with too much of the those those questions and them not feeling like they are recognized for some of the sacrifices that they're making and then not having a place to go to anyone about that and so what i'm wondering is do leaders do a good job of getting together with other leaders or with people that can speak with them on equal footing? And I think there are opportunities, whether it's joining some professional group for leaders at whatever level that you're at, or it could just be having close friends. But it's really important for leaders to make sure that they have people that can speak into their lives and to hold them accountable, but also to show them some of the things that they may not see in themselves or to be able to say, hey, you were making a good decision there, even though everyone below you may not be very happy at the moment. I think that's really important as a leader to have someone who can speak into your life in a positive way when everyone under you may be frustrated at you. Sounds like a new business opportunity. Encouragement for leaders. There you go. So uh, going going away from something that's, that's quite so deep, we also talked a little bit about celebration in this interview. We've talked about this before in previous episodes here and there, and it's something that at least those those who were talking in our discussion episodes in the past, most of us have said that we're not the best at celebration. I'm wondering... If there are things that you've done in your organizations or with people that would be your followers that you would say are good examples of celebration. I'm glad you asked me that because a week and a half ago, I did it for the first time in public. That's the one thing that Dr. Kerr talked about doing this in public. We had an event for all of, of our volunteers. We call them servant leaders at my church. So we all got together, had dinner, kind of just a time to, to fellowship. And then we had a little bit of a, a, a rah-rah. I don't know what you'd call it. Kind of a, a, I think a pep that rally. Is the technical term. A the, rah-rah. A rah-rah, rah-rah <laughs> yeah. We had, had a pep rally and, and said, hey, here's what's going on. Here's why we're excited. Here's what's coming up. And we recognized three people. We called them difference makers. And all we did is just give them like a, a pack of candy but when we i would i would say what they what their contribution was and say their name and we prepped everybody who said when we when we announce these names i want you to go crazy like like nobody's business and so we had people jumping up and everybody's cheering it was a really a pretty cool thing all we're doing is saying their name and saying they're a, a difference maker and giving them a bag of candy but it, it really meant a lot to the people we recognized because it was in front of people it was fun they got recognized they got celebrated and honestly with if, if they're like most of us they probably haven't been celebrated like that in a really long time and that's just, it was an easy thing to do. I almost didn't do it. It was a last minute thing, but we decided to. And it's something we're going to keep doing every time we have that, that rah-rah event. That's the difference that a good rah-rah can make in an organization. For sure. And actually, an experience I had recently that wasn't, I wasn't actively involved. I saw it passively. I was on a clinical rotation for eight weeks in Memphis recently. 
and I was with the hospital called Methodist North Hospital and the physical, the well, the whole rehab department um, had a quarterly meeting and like the it, physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists all got together in this meeting as a big rehab department. And they took the time to, they, they had what they called a celebration box and the associates could write down if they had a positive experience with a fellow coworker, they, they encouraged them to write that down. So it would be read at this meeting uh, that happened quarterly and that they took the time. Like you said, I think the important part of it is that it is public. It's in front of the whole rehab. It's not just like something that's kind of hung up on the wall and like, Oh, see it as you pass by type thing. Like this was like intentional. We're reading this in front of the whole department. Like you did this well, thank you. And you contributed to the, you know, to the whole department. One of the ideas that Dr. Kerr had was buying donuts or getting something that everyone's going to love and doing it to celebrate someone or in honor of somebody. That was a cool idea. Everyone loves donuts. Or he said, let, let people off early one Friday. That's the one I was like, oh, yeah. And, and, exactly. Connect it back. Like, exactly. and that, that makes people love that person all the more, but it's just a celebration too. That stuff's small. And, and I'm like other people apparently who've been on in the discussion episodes. I'm not good at that stuff. But if I can just if I can just get in the habit of it or just schedule that stuff in, I think that'd really be beneficial for my organization. For sure. So another thing is how to communicate effectively with different groups of people. And I mentioned in the interview that that's a question that has kind of been in my mind in the past. What's the balance between communicating effectively with people and being yourself or being authentic? I think there's something important about not changing who you are just because you're around other people. At the same time, I think there are times when you need to communicate differently to be an effective communicator. Something that's really simple but i thought it was really cool i saw a video on youtube recently i can't remember the name of the organization that does the that that does the video that has the channel but they it was a musician explained the concept of melody in different in varying levels of difficulty so he started with a like a a, a child that was like five and explained what a melody was to them and like worked his way up to a high schooler and worked his way up to like all the way up to an expert musician and they talked about what a melody is and I thought that was really cool because he, it's not like he changed himself or like himself as a musician in any of those instances. He just changed the way he presented what a melody is yeah. from very simple terms to the expert way. So I think there's, and that can be applied to any way of leadership. Like you, you don't necessarily change who you are. You just change the message enough to where it can be understood by the people that you're trying to send the message to. That's a good word. You have a couple interesting things to consider when you're thinking about adaptation and one of them is who you're speaking to. The other one's the context you're speaking in. So I communicate really differently. I, I, I preach, I speak to a group of people every Sunday and I'm going to preach, I'm going to speak to them differently on stage than I would face to face. Right. So obviously you have a difference there. And so for me, I have to ask that question too. Like at what point is my speaking too different from my actual conversational communication because it's the same group of people. I'm, I'm spending time around the same group of people, but I'm always, always trying to find that balance. Of, I don't want to be disingenuous. And that's one thing for Gen Z and millennials. That's really important is not being disingenuous is being authentic. And when you adapt your communication style, you always run the risk of being inauthentic or of manipulating. And that's one thing that's so easy to slip into is in an attempting to adapt, you're actually exploiting by re falsely representing yourself. I, I think that's a really tough 
question to ask and to really come to a good answer on. Yeah. And I think a lot of times when you're speaking to larger audiences, it's a little bit easier, at least to some degree, because a lot of it's just a matter of energy and how big your hand motions are and things like that. But then when it comes into other issues is when there's some difficulty, I think. So as we're, as we're getting to the end of our episode today, Dr. Kerr talked about a couple different keys to organizational success, and those were communicating your vision of the future and then maintaining a clear idea of what that big picture is and not getting siloed into a specific area of the organization. And as you think back through the episode or maybe just other thoughts you've had tangentially to what we heard this week from Dr. Kerr, are there other keys to organizational leadership that you think would be important? One thing that Dr. Kerr said is that immediate tasks always look most important, but developing people is always more important. Mm. So having that emphasis on the human development, on helping people become all they're supposed to be, that's so key to a healthy organization. It's something I'm wrestling with right now. How do you do that? Because so many tasks feel immediate, feel so important, but Focusing on people is always going to take priority or should always take priority in an organization. Yeah. How about you, Tubby? One of mine that I had was uh, you have to have good expectations too. Because so, so, so many times, at least in my personal experience, I go into a task or whatever it may be, a, a leadership role, and have these expe- I have like really high expectations of myself and what I'm going to do and of the people who might be under me. You know, I have big expectations for them too. I wanted to see this thing be really big, whatever it is. And sometimes you really do it. You just needed to take time to be realistic. You shouldn't. It's not that you shouldn't strive to be the best that you can be, but you do have to be realistic with maybe the limitations you have personally and then the limitations that your people under you may have as well. So just having good expectations and kind of adjusting, being being adaptable. Yeah. And one of the precursors that I would add is just making sure that you create a compelling vision as well. Uh, it's important to be able to communicate it and then to make sure that you don't get bogged down in the day-to-day details. But in the first place, just having a compelling vision that others want to be a part of is really important either to attract people or to retain people in your organization. Let's go ahead and go to our key takeaways for today. Elijah, what would you say are the most important things that you want to leave people with from this interview? Dr. Kerr's definition of humility was really helpful. Humility is greatness that does not expect recognition. The other thing is immediate tasks look most important, but developing people is always more important. And then the final thing is uh, always be ready and and willing to to seek to help others through your communication. If that means adapting, adapt. If that means celebrating them, celebrate, but always use your communication to help other people. And some of my takeaways, I liked when uh, he, his discussion on how to take failure as a leader, uh, not your own, but also people who are under you. And that sometimes you do, in a leadership position, have to take the heat for even yeah. something that somebody else does wrong that's under you. And uh, that kind of builds trust within the organization if you're willing to do that. Um, people will want to work harder for you if you're willing to take heat, even if it wasn't necessarily your fault, per se. Um, so handling failure in a good way as a leader, being willing to take the heat, was one of mine. Another one is just in in your job, in in your leadership position, going above and beyond. And I liked how he said it, um, that you should – not only meet deadlines, but beat deadlines. That was one of my favorite lines that he said. Because so so many times we do just want to, okay, I, this is something I got to do, so I just need to get it done by whenever. And instead of seeing it as, I really want to do this, go above and beyond to make this the best that I can be, um, I really like that. This is the first time that, that uh, the contributors have taken two of my three takeaways, which 
may serve to show how important these things are. But Tubby, same thing for me. It's better to beat than to meet deadlines. I really like that. And we didn't talk about it today in our discussion, but I thought that was a great point. Elijah, to your point as well, humility is greatness that does not expect recognition. And then my third and final one, we didn't talk about either. And it's kind of a lackluster way to finish, but very important and relevant for me especially, is to get a better sleep schedule. Make sure that you have a scheduled time you're going to sleep. Make sure you're treating your body right. And when you do that, you'll be able to operate more effectively as a leader. Well, Elijah, Tubby, thank you so much for joining the podcast this week. It was great to be here. Yes, thanks for having us again. Thanks for joining the show this week. I hope you learned something new and feel more prepared to take leadership in your own life to the next level. If you found this content valuable and would like to help out the podcast, here are three things you can do. One, subscribe to the podcast so you'll get new episodes each week as they come out. Two, share this episode with someone you think could benefit from it. And three, give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts. All three of these actions will help to make it easier for others to find us and join the community. You can never have too many good leaders, right? Until next time... Keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well. <laughs>